When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and, we, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. The only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technowood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the best equality in social sports podcast. That's enough from me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Tenderwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to, to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former professional footballer. He played for Liverpool and Leeds United. Welcome to the podcast, Dominic Matteo. Thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here, guys. I hope you're both well. We'd like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Ready to go. Um, who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, that is a really, really good question because my phone book is quite extensive. <laughs> um, are we talking footballers? Are we talking anything really? Yeah. Anything? Okay. Um, in my phone book, I'd say I'm going to stick it to. I'm going to keep the football. Um, so I'm in a WhatsApp group with um, all the Liverpool players from all different eras. I'd probably say Kenny Daglish would be mine, one that I've got because for me, he was my he was my hero as a footballer growing up. And to now have his phone number is quite um, nice. Um, but for maybe guys that you, the guys you might know, I'd probably say Steven Gerrard. Oh, that's a nice one. Because Steven Gerrard was obviously my boot boy. I remember him. When I played for Liverpool, so he used to clean my boots for me. He doesn't like me saying no. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he did. He do, and actually, he doesn't mind me saying that. Um, we grew up in the same, you know, we played for the same academies at Liverpool through the same coach, a guy called Steve Highway, who brought us all through. So, yeah, I'll go with Steven Gerrard. It's not a bad one. All right, then. Okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? I've been very fortunate um, throughout my football career to meet some uh, inspiring people. If I could change with any one person for one day, 
I was fortunate enough to meet Nelson Mandela oh, wow. on more than four occasions in South Africa. Um, and when I met him, I felt like there was an awe around his body. It was like, uh, if you remember the Readybeck thing, if you look up Readybeck, he looked like he was like a, he had a glow around him. All he had right. something really special <laughs> about him. It was really amazing. And I kind of stepped back when I met him. If you could go back to one day in your life, what would it be? I think it's, um, it's a really good question again. That I, I think if I go back to one day, I think making my debut as a professional footballer, the the proud the way I felt, the proudness of playing for my hometown club, Liverpool, um, and becoming a professional, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old was, was so special. Um, and to hear that you'll never walk alone for the first time walking down the tunnel of Anfield. It's it's unforgettable. I'm getting goosebumps now talking about it. It was uh, it was just incredible, incredible. Thank you for um, answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. Okay. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up? And did you always want to be a footballer? Yes, I think so. I wasn't very good at school, um, but. I tried my best every single day to get to improve because being a footballer, only a very small percentage of people become a professional footballer. So I thought, if I don't become a footballer, what am I going to do? So I went to school, tried my best, but I wasn't very good. Um, so luckily for me, um, becoming a footballer made life easier for me to, to be what I wanted to be. But it was still hard. You have to put them hard yards in. Day in, day out. Um, very lucky to um, have a really good family around me. My mum and dad took me to training sessions. More my mum than my dad, really. Mum um, used to take me everywhere. There'd be about 10 of us in one car driving to Liverpool for training. And Are you sure that wasn't a bus? <laughs> no, I'm talking, it was the smallest car ever. But back then, we're going back for, you know, 35 years ago, you could get away with it. Probably not health and safety conscious, but, you know, that's just the way it was. It was the only way we could get there. And if we didn't do that, we had to, I had to get two buses and a train and then another bus to get to the training ground. So I think it's a little bit different for the, for the modern-day footballer nowadays, even at the younger ages. I speak to kids. My, my nephew has been signed for Leeds United. He's eight, eight years old, very good player, good talent. But I've told him, this is the start of your career. You have to now keep improving, keep wanting to get better. And like I just mentioned, always have a backup plan as well. Because in football, if you look at the statistics, I think it's about 1% become a professional footballer. But I always say to him, no matter whether you become a top player, always create friends and have good relationships with people uh, and, be, and be, be a kind person. That's the way I was brought up myself uh, in a tough area. But I was always kind to people. I remember there was a little boy getting bullied at school and because he had big glasses. Um, and I said to the kids, no, 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 we don't do that. We, you know, we look out for each other. We're all from the same place. We look out for each other. And um, he wouldn't listen. So I had to tell him to behave yourself. And don't talk to my talk to my friend like that at school because it's not fair and it's not right. Um, from that day on, he learned his lesson and he uh, he listened to what I had to say. I was a bit bigger than him as well, so that <laughs> I think helped. that helped definitely. Yeah. Um, you were adopted as a baby, so yep. what was your upbringing like, and how did it feel as a child being adopted? Very tough, actually. Not the first. I didn't really find out till I was about eight years old. And then when I found out when I was eight years old, a um, bit of a shock. Um, but my mum and dad told me, he, he, you know, I called them mum and dad because they are, they brought me up, they brought me up. Um, they gave me an amazing life. My dad was a bus driver. My mum was a home help. So normal jobs. Um, and then my mum got another job. So my mum now had two jobs. My dad 
got another job um, making his own, he started his own business making uniforms. Um, so they both had two jobs. And then to finish it all off, he started making wine, red wine. Yeah, because my, my, da- my dad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he brews beer. That's it. So very similar, but my dad was, uh, my dad has an Italian heritage. My mum's from near Liverpool. So um, very different places, but they met in the army. And um, they they gave me the most amazing life, and it just shows you in life you don't have to uh, have money or anything to to have an amazing life. I was very lucky. My mum and dad are still alive to this day, both in their eighties, both just turned eighty three. And um, listen, long may that continue. They were, just, they, they were the best people in my life, and they, they, they remain to be that influence and that nice influence on me um, going forward. You were scouted by Liverpool legend Kenny. Is it Dalgish? Oh, please, yes, that's right. Do you remember him watching you play? Yes, that was um, an amazing day for me. Um, as I mentioned, I have Kenny's number, um, so it's funny how um, our, our paths crossed. His son played for the same team as me. Um, he's a little bit younger than me, so Kenny went to watch him play. And I was around the same team, but on a different part of the park. So he came over to watch me play. And then he asked me to come to, to Liverpool, um, you know, and have a little trial. So a couple of us got chosen. I, I was one of them. I went to, to Liverpool, to Melwood, the training ground. And um, the rest is history, really. The, 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 uh, I went right through the ranks at 20. Uh, I was, no, when I was 10, not 20. When I was ten, and um, yeah, and that kind of was the start of my my journey with Liverpool, and then obviously went on to play for the club. So it was uh, that was the starting point. But I think I was very fortunate to have um, um, coaches, a guy called Steve Highway. Um, a lot of Liverpool fans will know this guy because they said the first thing I'm going to teach you is not about football; it's about respect, how to treat people. And as I've mentioned this a lot, it's kind of how I live my life with respect and give people the same time, the same honesty that I give that he gave me. So um, I think it's an important lesson to to give people time. And obviously, I think that's the biggest gift in life is time. How did it feel to be signed for the football? Just incredible. Um, you can see me smiling here because um, I get a bit emotional talking about stuff like this because. Um, it brings you back, right back to that place. And um, again, very lucky because um, without the help of my family and my teammates and everyone else, this doesn't happen. Um, and even going back to my my coach, who was not a you know a proper coach, he was just a coach. That, but um, he passed he, he passed away recently, um, and it devastated me that things like that really hurt. But I never forget um, because he was the first person, George, who took me for that um, to play football on the park. And yeah, it kind of went from there. But I think you have to, there's so many people you want to thank for, for helping you. Um, and I'm lucky I had a lot of help around that. You know, um, like even today with my illness I have at the moment, you know, it's, um, it's difficult for me to, to remember a lot of stuff. Which which happened in them days, but you sending you talking to me today has actually brought a little bit of that back um, about that kind of them days. So uh, yeah, appreciate you asking that question because that really helped me um, remember at that time because my memory is um, very sketchy because of the um, the brain injury you know I've had. So yeah, but that's um, that was kind of the start again in, in a different place. Graham Sonas Sonas was manager at the time you joined Liverpool. Yes. What was he like as a manager? Um, very tough. Um, he was uh, a great man. I admired him as a person. Um, I think the, the, the phrase is tough love at times. Um, but I think he's seen something in me um, that he pursued to to give me a um, professional contract 
Um, it was down to Graham, uh, the great Ronnie Moran, God bless him, he's not here anymore, and Roy Evans, the coaches, and Steve Highway and a few other people. They were the people uh, that really helped me. But Graham Souness was... Uh, I still speak to Graham because obviously he works on Sky Sports now. So occasionally I bump into him when I'm at, when I'm working at Leeds United, and uh, it's great to bump into him. But uh, yeah, he was tough, very tough, um, and he won't he'd tell you as well, which I kind of like that because I think sometimes when it's handed to you too easily, I don't think you appreciate it as much. So I really listened to what he told me. You made your Liverpool debut in 1993 against Manchester City, coming on as a sub for John Barnes. What are your memories of that game? Playing at Man City on your debut against a, a club with great history as well. Very tough team to play against as well. Um, when you played at the old stadium as well, not this posh stadium we play at now. Uh, the empty ad, as I call it, there's never any fans there. Um, but yeah, it was uh, an amazing, amazing experience. And I, I actually was pleased it was an away game because um, you could feel the fans. I always feel the away, the away support's always uh, better, um, noisier, livelier. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience to, to, to play your first game against such a great club as Man City. Um, is it right you went to Marbella with Robbie Williams? <laughs> Tell you what, you have done your research. Yeah, um, Robbie Williams came on holiday with us um, quite a few times. He came to um, yeah, came to Marbella with us for uh, a week. We ended up staying for two weeks, um, as you can imagine. It was a bit crazy. Uh, yeah, I went with Robbie Fowler. Um, Try to think who else was there. Jamie Redknapp was there. Phil Babb. There was a lot of the Liverpool boys were there, and uh, yeah, we had great fun and. Robbie Williams was a brilliant. He's a brilliant guy, great football fan, and he's done a lot of work with UCEF. UNICEF now hasn't he to, to create, you know, opportunities for people as well uh, with Soccer Aid. So yeah, great guy, and um, you know, it's nice to see that he sorted his life out a little bit as well. He had problems with drink and drugs and other things, but now he's back to, you know, being his being the man he is. And obviously bringing a great family up as well. So he's a great, great person. It's great to see he's on the right track again. Yeah. Um, you had big names in your team, such as John Barnes, Ian Rush, Neil Ruddock and more. What was it like to play with these players? Well, let's just start with Neil Razor Ruddock. He was crazy. Um, when I roomed with him, he was just such a character. Um because I was younger, I had to make his coffee for him. <laughs> that makes coffee. no sense. Yeah. He's meant to be helping me. But yeah, anyway, he was making me, I had to make him a nice coffee. He liked a milky coffee. Um, yeah, John Barnes was, he liked his food. Mm. Um, but yeah, John was the one that I listened to. Him and Ian Rush, as you mentioned, them two players were the two that really looked after me. They had all the experience, they'd won everything, they'd got all the trophies, they they knew how to win, they knew what they were doing with, with the younger players as well. Um, and I learned a lot from them. And I still speak to them two guys to this day. Uh, and I think if you speak to a lot of the, the players from my era, like Sir Robbie Fowler, they all would have said that them two were pivotal, pivotal in all the lads going on to have good careers, down to people like that. Uh, and yeah, I think in life nowadays, there's not too many characters knocking about. And we, I miss the characters. That's the one thing I miss in football. Everyone's a bit robotic now and it's a bit boring. Um, but these guys certainly weren't. They were real characters. And the, um, I learned a lot in life from these boys. You must have some great stories about Razor. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you have to go there. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could probably speak about them too much. Um, put it one way, for a big guy, physical guy, he doesn't get enough credit for the actual footballer he was and the person he was. He was a great guy. I'll just give you an insight to him. At that point, we had no money. I was playing playing in the first team at Liverpool, but with no wages because of Sky, until Sky Sports came. Razor gave me a car. Um, so he gave me a little Audi, which... Um, 
I never ever forget that. You know, if Razor needed something tomorrow, I'd send him the money, no problem, because he helped me. And that's how I kind of think that in that world we work and we look after each other. And um, there's been times when I've given him a few things, and that's that's nice to kind of not repay it. It's just I think you learn a lot. It's like a life lesson from certain people, but. Razor was um, larger than life. That's the right kind of words. What was the culture like during the 90s when playing for Liverpool? (laughs) (laughs) It was, to be honest, because you don't know anything different, when you look at the players now and they all live like saints, it was a different era back then. We could go out and speak with the fans and have a drink with the fans, only if we won. We got beat. We would never do that. Well, maybe a few, but um, that's kind of how um, the, that era was. The nineties was a bit crazy. I'm sure the eighties was before that, and I'm sure the seventies were before that. But once it got into the two thousands, I think the everything changed slightly into the way people lived their lives, the diets, the the drinking culture, maybe slowed down a little. Um, but yeah, there's, I think we all, as got older now, we all, we've all learned a little bit from that. But I tell you what, I had some fun and I loved it. I'm being brutally honest, I'm very lucky. Um, and all them guys I've mentioned were a huge part of that. Um, people might think that's a bad thing. I don't. They, they never overstepped the mark with me or anything like that. So uh, yeah, great times. Um, you reached the FA Cup final. Tell us about the Spice Boys. <laughs> I think maybe the white suits was a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. I've still got mine at home. I've kept mine. A lot of the lads ripped theirs up after we lost to Man United. Uh, but I've kept mine. Uh, and I suppose I should have been playing, by the way, in that game. It might have might have won. Um, but obviously the manager has to make a decision on who plays. Um, but yeah, listen, it was a mistake. I'm blaming David James because he was sponsored by Armani. <laughs> <laughs> was literally about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, we were, about, we were literally about to ask him if it was his idea. Well, Stop it was kind of because he was quite a specimen of a person. He was sponsored by Armani. So he approached Armani and Armani said, you know, can we do your suits for the cup final? And that's kind of how it worked. But I thought we were going to be getting a grey or a blue or, you know, something, you know, something, uh, I don't know. No. Anything, but, anything like the man from Del Monte. If you research that, that's what we look like. Uh, White no. linen suits. Like they were, and they were, so, they were massive as well. They were so baggy. Was, oh, dear. Was, oh, dear. It was um, not a good. It was not a good look. Any stains you got must have been a nightmare to get out again. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, and I'll tell you the worst thing was you try and find some suit, uh, some um, some shoes to match the white suit. It's more white, or less white sneakers. <laughs> well, you weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to wear sneakers. White soccer shoes then. Yeah, well. Well, football shoes. Yeah, I've still. I, I think I've still got them somewhere. Actually. Uh, Gerard Hull- is Hullier? Gerard. Hullier, yeah. Is it Hullier? Gerard Hullier became manager in the late 90s. What was he like as a manager? Obviously, we lost Graham a few years uh, We lost Gerard a, a few years ago, sorry. And um, he was tough, good guy, understood the game. Um, he was quite strict um, when, he, when I left. Um, it wasn't down to him because I had five years left on my contract but I thought to myself he's signing a player who plays in a similar position Christian Zieger from um, Bayern Munich and I thought I went to see him and I said am I going to play every week and he says you're not going to start every week I went I don't think that's fair let's have a pre-season and see who's the best but he had different ideas so for me, it was a no-brainer in a way to, to go, but I respected his decision and, I was, and he respected my decision. Um, and we've missed, we've missed a great man in Gerard Hule. He was a brilliant fella. 
you know, he did a lot for Liverpool and he changed the club's um, concept on, on how they played and how they lived their lives. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of Liverpool fans will have a lot, a lot of good stuff to say about him. And me too. He's a miss, he's a loss. Um, and he'll never be forgotten in Liverpool. You mentioned in your autobiography that you were about to sign a five-year deal with Liverpool and then four days later you joined Leeds United. Can you talk to us about what happened? Yeah, like, like I just mentioned earlier, it was kind of... Leeds were doing really well. They just got into the Champions League. Liverpool had just missed out on the Champions League. Um, my agent spoke to me and said, listen, Leeds want to take you. There's a few other clubs that will sign you as well. So let's go and speak to Leeds, just get a, get a feel for it, um, which I did. Um, and actually all the players were on a, on a, on a day out or a night out because uh, one of the players, Lee Bowyer, had been fined two weeks' wages for not turning up for training. Mm. It was quite a bit of money back then as well. He was on good wages. Um, so they said, listen, this is what's happening. Do you want to come and meet the boys? Um, see what they're like. So I did. So I went to a restaurant near Leeds and um, we had some dinner, a few drinks. Um, and I kind of felt, it felt right. So I knew a few of the players from that era anyway. So we, uh, we had a few more drinks and then I met, I met with um, Peter Risdale, who's the owner. And I met with um, David O'Leary, the manager. And we got the deal done, um, signed the contract. Um, yeah, and that's that's how it kind of happened. It happened really quick, quicker than what I thought. Because a lot of my friends at Liverpool didn't think I'd be leaving because I had five years left. I probably could have, if it stayed, I'd have won all them trophies, unfortunately. I'd left just before that. But that's, again, that's the decision you make in, in, as a footballer. Um, and I went on to Leeds and I still work for the club now. So, um, I, you know, They've looked after me through my illnesses that I've been going through, you know, with my brain, my brain injury, uh, brain cancer. So, you know, I have a lot to thank Leeds for, um, for looking after me to this day. Um, and also, um, I loved playing for Leeds United as well, just like I love playing for Liverpool. It felt very much at home and it still does. My wife's um, from Leeds. She's right. She's actually born right opposite Ellen Road. I mean, richly next door to it. So um, we have a real connection now um, which is great for me and uh, great for the wife and the family uh, take my little boy to Ellen Road um, even though he likes Liverpool I shouldn't say that he wants to go to he wants to go to Anfield so um, I'll be taking him to Anfield over the next uh, month or two because I promised him and my daughter as well even though she likes Man City she, <laughs> oh she no likes, yeah, like yeah. the team you're working for oh no <laughs> That must like, make watching well, sports really intriguing. Well, she likes, she fancies Phil Foden. <laughs> oh! So, oh actually, her, her, birthday, <laughs> yeah, her, birth, her, birth, her birthday is on, um, on the 18th of June, so it's coming up. So, what I've organised is um, I've got Phil Foden to sign one of his shirts and I've got it um, framed. She doesn't know. So when she gets, but I mean, I'm in Spain, I'm in Spain at the minute. I hope she won't be listening to this then. Although yeah, that's it. going to spoil Yeah. Oh yeah. So she doesn't know that's coming. So um, that was that's. I'm lucky that you know I'm in the football world, so I know a lot of people who can do stuff like that. Like my little boy's birthday was in April, so he said, "I want a shirt." I was like, "Oh gosh, here we go." Started something now. So. Um, he wanted uh, a Lionel Messi shirt. So, you know, he didn't mess about. So I got him a Lionel Messi shirt and um, he loves it. He absolutely loves it. He's, uh, yeah. How did you manage to get a Messi shirt signed? <laughs> That's that was right now. <clears throat> uh, well, I, I just know a lot of people in football, put it that way. You pulled strings, let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we're involved with a, with a couple of businesses and... Um, yeah, we can get, we can more or less get anything, shirt-wise. Yeah, so I, I, strings. yeah, I did. What about a nice Ronaldo shirt for our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> please, us, please forgive us. Please, 
give Alan for his outfit. I could, I could probably get you one, but um, I wouldn't. I'd have to rip it up afterwards. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, listen. I mean, with the shirt side of it, there's so many shirts that you can have or get. Um, but my kids like certain players, and you know, I just try and get the things that they like. And like you say, it's lucky. Not not many kids can get stuff like that. So, you know, luckily I can for them. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold, the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media, too, for awesome giveaways. That's Gold. Um, you went into a very strong Leeds team with players such as Nigel Martin, Jonathan Mulgate, Robbie Keane, uh, Paul Robinson, and more. What was the dressing room like at Leeds? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Crazy. Really crazy. Um, great set of lads. We had, uh, we had younger players coming through, like Alan Smith, Woodgate, Paul Robinson. And then you had the senior players like David Batty, Nigel Martin. Um, so I think Lucas Radebe, who was there at the time as well. So we had some good players. We had a good mixture, actually. Um I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was um, one of the best, one of the best team spirits I've ever had. Um, even Liverpool, obviously Liverpool was great, but Leeds, it was just—I don't know—it was uh, it was just a bit not bonkers, but it, it kind of was a little bit. We just we just all got. I think it's very hard to find a team where everyone gets on, um, which. That's exactly how it was. We all went out together. We ate together. Uh, we went for drinks together. You know, it was kind of, we stuck together. Um, and I think because a lot of us were quite young at that point as well, some were married, some weren't. So, um, yeah, we, we, look, we looked out for each other. And um, if people were struggling family-wise or they needed some help, that's how I see it. It felt like we were a family at Leeds United as well, just like at Liverpool, very similar. The family, it was always about the family. How's the family? How's the kids? Uh, is everyone okay? If anyone needed anything, we supported a lot of charities throughout that time as well, um, which was always a good thing as well. David O'Leary yes. was Leeds manager when you joined. What was he like to play for? Um, for me, because he was a central defender, it's perfect for me. Um I've learned a lot from him. You think about a player who played 700 games for Arsenal. Um, if you can't learn from a person like that, you've got no chance. And I still, I sit every week at Ellen Road, um, right next door, very close to where David sits. because He comes to watch a lot of games, even though he works for Arsenal as well. But he comes to many um, Leeds games because he lives in Yorkshire. Um, I have a lot of respect for David and for his family. Um, and when I did a big event, raising some money for the Brain Tumor Charity and my own foundation ahead of the game, he was there supporting. And he don donated um, a round of golf, uh, which we raised a lot of money for, to play golf with David. And Razor Ruddock as well was in, is going to be involved. That's going to be on soon, so that could be crazy. But um, yeah, David's a brilliant guy. Uh, had a lot of respect for him. Great career and a great man-manager. Um, you scored your first goal for Leeds against AC Milan at the Milan. Milan. Sorry, at the San is it Siro? Yeah. Yes. That must have been an incredible time for you. Yeah, like you said, I didn't score too many goals, so um, to score against such an iconic team as AC Milan with my dad's, my dad's, my dad's obviously heritage of being Italian. Um, the Italian family side of it were going a bit crazy, which was great. And yeah, listen, when you're scoring against people like Paolo Maldini, Costa Curta, oh gosh, um, track, there's so many I could mention. Um, but I always mention Paolo Maldini because the wife again has got a crush on Paolo Maldini. So. Can I ask you to go to another table because this one we are going to use it to check in for a group? Oh, okay. So you just, you? told me to come here. That's why I'm here. Okay. Well, you can leave it like that in half an hour or something like that. But then we will need it to do the check-in. I'll be finished. How long will we be, guys? Okay. Sorry. About 20 minutes. 20 minutes, okay. Okay, okay thank nice. you. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah.
right. It's all right. It's not the craziest thing. Ever. Um, in the 2000 to 2001 season, you had a great run in the Champions League, reaching the semi-final. What are your yeah. memories of that? Yeah, it was. Um, like I say, we. I don't think anyone expected us to get as far as we did. Um, obviously, good. We never got to the final. Had a chance to win it, um, but we played a very good Valencia team in the semi-final. But yeah, the journey was incredible. Um, the fans made it. All the fans who come over to all these different places, different countries. It was a real experience for all of us. And if you think back to some of the games, the one at, um, in Lazio, in uh, in Rome, and then when we played in Milan, the fans were on the, we were on the pitch with the fans for for hours after the game finished. You'll never see things like that again in football. In my opinion, um, it was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, and I always say about that, the, the Leeds fans at that point, and I think they probably still are the best of the best because um, they're just, they're, they're, they are crazy. They travelled everywhere. Don't even know how they all got there. Um, but put it one way, when they said there was 10,000 there or 9,000, there was about 20,000 there at least. Um, and it was just an incredible few. We stayed in um, a hotel on the outskirts um, of Milan and it was uh, absolutely unbelievable. It was beautiful. The food was amazing. Um, it, was just, it was just one of those special nights and one of them special um, few, few months, I think, of, um, of the team coming together. Um, I just wish we'd have won that trophy just to uh, put the icing on the cake. Um, when Rio Ferdinand, right, left your, became club captain, what was it like to become captain and what sort of captain were you? Um, I think obviously when you're coming in from someone like Rio, who's such a great player, um, it's hard to follow someone like him. Um, the one thing I understood from that time at Liverpool is understanding the game, where to be on the football pitch, try and help the younger players. That's what that's what I tried to bring into it. So basically, I'd speak to like James Milner, who still plays at Liverpool now. I was there when he made his debut. Certain other players when they made their debuts. So it was so important for me to to become that um, kind of leader, especially with the young players, and give them uh, a chance to experience certain aspects of the game. Um, and, and, and to be honest, giving them more time because that's what they needed. They needed to learn and stuff. And James Milner even says to me to this day, um, he couldn't have picked a, a better captain. And to come from someone like James Milner saying that um, when he was 17, it's uh, incredible. And obviously you've seen the career he's had and still having now. So I'm glad I managed to give him um, that good advice from an early age. And when I spoke to Jurgen Klopp about this, he said you did a very good job, so um, I'll take that. Um, that season you played, you made your debut for Scotland. You could have played for England and also Italy. Why did you choose Scotland, and what was it like to make your debut? I think because I was born in Scotland. Um, being born in Glasgow, I always wanted to represent my country and make sure um, my dad. Obviously, had links in Scotland as well, and he lived there himself, and we lived there. So it was important to play for the club that I was born in, the, the, the place that I was born in, which was which was Scotland. So um, that's why it was important for me. Even though I didn't get many caps because of my injuries throughout my career and missing games, um, I just think now it was. Uh, I'm just glad they experienced it not as many times as I'd like down to my injuries and stuff but um, it's still an honour and a privilege to play for your country at any at any point um, Leeds were re- relegated in 2004 and that started a long time of struggles for Leeds how did Leeds go from Champions League semi-finalists to relegated in the space of two years thanks for that that's a really good question um uh, I don't know. We had a lot of good players, but I think when we lost a few of the better players, uh, the experienced players, I think it was hard for us to to maybe adapt. We should have adapted better. Um, we all we all took, should take responsibility for that. I certainly did. Um, maybe enough players didn't. 
Um, and it's a collective thing. You can't just blame one person. You can't blame the manager. You can't blame the board. It's a collective. It's all of us. You're all involved. And I think when that does happen, um, you, like I said, you've all, you've all got to take that responsibility. Um, I tried to. I was one of the only people who stood up and said it uh, in front of all the fans and all the people. There's others who do, did as well, but um, I actually fell out for a lot of the players around that time because they thought I was talking out of turn. But listen, that's life and that was my opinion, my thoughts, and um, I wouldn't change that. You then joined the Blackburn Rovers. How did that move come about? Yeah, just Graeme Souness, um, another guy we've mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, great guy, great manager. Everywhere I went, he tried to sign me. Um, so when he took me there, um, he soon went to Black, um, to Newcastle, which wasn't great for me because he went to Newcastle. And then Mark Hughes came in. And me and Mark, obviously, he's been a Man United player. Probably didn't get on that well. Um, so that one didn't work out too well for me. But hey-ho, um, Another experience, and obviously Blackburn were a good side. I've still got a lot of friends from Blackburn, um, and they're a club that's hopefully um, at some point would get back to the Premier League. Not at the moment, but um, hopefully further down the line, because I still have a I have a soft spot for any club that I've played for. Um, you then joined Stoke and got promoted to the Premier League as captain. What was it like to play for Stoke and get promoted? Incredible. Um, Obviously, it was never then about about financial gain or anything like that for me. It was all about getting that team promoted and doing the best that best I could with the players, with the young players. The boys were earning peanuts and wages. So for them to get promoted and me to be a part of that as captain and I suppose leader in a way with the younger players, help them get their careers on, on track and also a little bit more money for them as well because these lads were earning peanuts. Um, and they deserved more because they were good players. They were as good as the other players around, um, but Stoke weren't paying big money. And all of a sudden, they get a big owner in Bet365. Everything was good, good in the hood, as they say, for finances. So, um, yeah, but forget the money side of it. Um, that's business and football. But, yeah, there were some good lads in that, in that Stoke team. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a proud moment for me when we got promoted. Um and yeah, um, I still speak to, like again, a lot of the players from Stoke. And uh, when we got promoted, there was some real celebrations in Stoke. And Stoke haven't had many celebrations over the last so many years. So yeah, it was nice. It was a nice, a nice moment to experience. Since retiring, uh, you mentioned in your autobiography that you ran up £1 million gambling debts. Why did yeah. gambling get so bad, and how had your how had you been? How long have you been uh, gambling for? No, I think it was just a, as a young footballer, you've got a few got a few pounds in the bank. He, I just I had lots of horses. Um, I loved it. I loved the experience of being around the horses and um, and that world. Um, and like you say, when you have a kind of an addictive personality, which footballers do have. One thing leads to another, and um, I started betting heavy. I've not had a bet for six years now, seven years, no, a lot longer than that. I can't even remember, but it, that's not part of my life anymore, so I managed to sort that out. Um, I'm not proud of it one one bit, but when I was doing it, I lived on my own. I was a single man. Um, when my children came about, that was the, the day I stopped. As soon as my first daughter was born, I stopped straight away. In 2019, you complained about bad eyesight and went for an eye test. Can you tell us about that and what happened in the following weeks? Yeah, that's correct, what you said. Um, went for my eyesight. They told me my eyes were perfect. Um, slowly, when I was working on TV, I noticed my eyesight wasn't great. It was flickering a little bit. Then it started with a headache. Luckily, I was going to the hospital for a, for a health check. I was flying to Singapore for more work. Luckily, I went for that test because we find a, a huge brain tumour, um, brain cancer in my brain. So, um, yeah, very lucky. I'm lucky to be here talking to you guys. Um, I was given a small percent to survive. I'm here now. I'm on holiday with my family and my wife. So, you know, I'm still not out of the woods and whether I'll ever be out of the woods, I don't know. But what you've got to have in life and you guys 
as well is the mindset, believing you can do it, you can achieve something. They've told me this is something you can't. I don't believe it. I don't believe that one bit. I, I Like I said, I've started my foundation ahead of the game because that's what I need to be now in the rest of my life. I need to be ahead of the game. Um, so anything new comes up, up that can we can research to make things better for people. We look after 13 people with terminal cancer and we self-fund that, me and my friend. And we're going to make a difference in this world because brain tumours are very underfunded. 1% from the government. If you're listening, you need to start giving us some more money because we make a difference. Brain tumours are the biggest killers, biggest killer in men. Um, I'm not saying women don't die that as well, but in men, it's the biggest one. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult. I've lost my eyesight. I can't read. I can't write. I can't drive anymore. So this is the kind of thing the government needs to listen to is when we talk. We're talking about things that yes. there is a way forward. It's, it's important. Listen, I'm two years down the line now, and I feel good. I'm on holiday with my family. I've got a few more days. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to sit in the sun. I'll come back. I'll get back on my diet again properly, and I'll start my, start my routine. And I think routine for anybody in life is one of the most important things. And when you've got that, you've got a chance. What has your recovery been like since your surgery? It's tough. It's tough. Um, I was told I was blind at one point, so to be able to see one eye, I'll take that. Um, this one's a bit blurry, but I tell you what, I can still see my three kids, I can still see my wife, I can still see my family. I ain't going to complain. You still, you can still see the people you care about. That's all that matters. Yeah. I'm still here as well, you know, and I can't leave them. I can't leave them anywhere. I, I need to be there till the end for them. That's what that's all that matters for me. You know, yeah. forget everything, forget money, forget all the all the fame you can have. Just family or on life and staying alive. Yeah, an important part. Yeah. Yes, the just, important things. I tell you what, there's a song in there somewhere, staying alive, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Is even on that CPR ad? <laughs> <laughs> so no, yeah, listen. I'm life's for living and I'm living my life every day. Yeah. yeah, some days are better than others. As everyone knows, you'll you'll probably say the same guys. Every everyone day has different. their ups and downs. Correct. And at the moment for me, I have more good days than bad days. So I'll take that again. Tomorrow I might feel different, but who knows? Um every week on the podcast, we like our guests to uh, ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's question comes from our previous guest, 11-time Paralympic gold medalist, uh, Tani Gray-Thompson, who asks, if you didn't play your sport, which sport would you like to have played? Um, I'd, I'd have been somehow involved in athletics. That was I was very good at athletics when I was young, so uh, yeah, some kind of running. Maybe the 1,500 metres. Yeah, that's interesting. Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest, please? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question can be anything you want. Uh, you ask him any question. Yeah, I miss it to miss to our next guest. However, we're not going to tell you who it is. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I'd like to ask the question: If you could, if you could be, if you could be invisible for one day, who would you like to? Who would you like to look at? Okay. <laughs> I could be and you can't say Angelina Jolie. <laughs> um, I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Dominic. We really appreciate uh, speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. No, and listen, thank you so much. This has been really inspiring for me today. Really made my holiday as well, this. Honestly, it's really given me a nice lift. I'm going to jump in that pool in a minute, honestly. And thank you, guys. Listen, if you guys need any support from me, you know, you've got my details, come back to me whenever you want. I'd love to be on the show again. I really mean that. Lots of love to you all. I mean that. 
keep doing what you're doing. You're doing an amazing job. So Alyssa, how yeah. did you enjoy talking to Dominic Matteo? I-, I loved it. He's he is a good person and quite a good fun guy to be around. I could tell from from even behind the other side of the screen screen, his family's very lucky to have him. And I hope he gets better soon. Yeah. Um I enjoyed a lot of it personally. Um also like mentioned about his time for Leeds and um also talking about the um struggle with like brain tumour, which is like um a good uh serious topic to talk about because um I like that that's also being helped out more in society also with the Lewis yes. um you know the foundation um Lewis Moody I mean and um yeah I, I just enjoyed everything about this episode I'm very grateful to chat to him and uh not only were we thankful to him but he was thankful to us so much appreciated mm-hmm. yeah uh, guys make sure like always listen to more episodes in the future of the podcast um, follow our social medias, i.e. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, etc. Thank you, guys. Peace. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.